Today I'm here at the Byron Writers Festival with acclaimed author Evelyn Araluen. She is a descendant of the Bungjilung Nation. She is now working on her PhD focusing on Aboriginal women publishing in Australia. She won the Stella Prize Award in 2022 for her work titled Drop Bear. Evelyn became the first poet and youngest person ever to win this prestigious award. An amazing feat and only at the beginning of her career. Welcome Evelyn, how are you today? I'm well, thank you very much That's for having good. me. Thank you for coming by, it's a pleasure to have you. Mm -hmm. I would like to ask, the festival's theme this year is Radical Hope. Mm. What does that mean to you? I think it's a really great theme and I'm really glad that they decided to particularly use this word radical because yes. I think obviously like hope, particularly in like a region like, you know, the Byron community um, and broader northern New South Wales that's had so much flooding damage, flood damage recently and has been just in a really, um, you know, really a state of environmental crisis. We need hope, but it needs to be always politicised. It needs to be... Uh, engaged it needs to be really absolutely pushing the boundaries of what we can be you know what we can be doing in our communities and in our broader societies so um, I'm really you know I'm really interested in hearing how all of the different panels are reinterpreting this message of radical hope and what that that is for everybody else um, for me personally I think that radical hope is something about action as much as it is about aspiration and that's something that um you know i'm pretty passionate about just with my political views and things that we really have to be um you know we have to be demanding better for our you know for our communities for our country for the entire you know for the entire society that we're all living in oh absolutely could have said it better myself <laughs> Um, where does your love of poetry and literature come from? My parents were always really trying to make sure that we had as much access to books as possible and that we really understood the value of education. So dad was always putting books in my hand and going, all right, go and read that one, um, which, um, you know, I'm so grateful to have that to have that guidance there from him. So I've been reading and loving writing from a really young age. Uh, poetry came a lot later for me compared to other kinds of writing and other kinds of literary interests as well. Okay. So I didn't really start reading poetry um, in any kind of meaningful way until I was probably in like, you know, my kind of my mid-teens, whereas I was devouring novels and just absolutely eating up short stories and more prose-based forms. So... Um, yeah, started with family and just started with that encouragement, um, that encouragement from my parents. So it's one of the reasons that I think that it's really great to see so many young people being engaged with writing at the moment um, because it's now just more accessible to them ever than ever before, way more accessible than what it was for me when I was growing up. Yes, especially poetry because I feel it's still not taught or ingrained in our children as much as other stories. Not in a way that makes it feel relevant for them, which is yeah. a real big issue. Like We still obviously have in the curriculums, we've got a lot of poetry education, but it's work that is you know sometimes hundreds of years old and it's it's important work it's valuable work it will be able to teach young people important things about history about feeling about language 
and I'm not saying get rid of it, but I also know that kids feel so seen in literature and yes. um, and in media, and it's important to try as much as possible to create relationships of you know um, of a sense of relevance in the work that they're reading. And so I love hearing about drop air being put in schools or in university yes. curriculums and that kind of thing because. Even though I don't necessarily think that my book is like going to be relatable to anyone, to you know anyone other than just me, um, it's still a really great sign that contemporary, new, fresh, young writing yes. is there, and it's just it's available for them, yes. you know. Because still today in schools, it's uh, it's always Shakespeare this, Shakespeare that. It's like it's great to look at that, but yeah. we don't have to just flood it with that. Exactly, yes. yeah. They need to find work that speaks to them yes. and speaks about them. And if they don't get that from what they're reading in schools, we might actually lose that love of literature before it's Definitely. really started in them. And now you can entertain a new audience that wasn't prior. Like, they can find your work and go, this is what I can connect with. And hopefully go and read more poetry as well oh, once absolutely. they start that up. Well, you also mentioned family, and I want to talk about uh, your father as well, Barry Corr. Uh, he was one of the first group of students who went uh, on the Freedom Ride in 1965 at the University of Sydney. You yourself participated in the 50th anniversary in 2015. How was that experience and how much of an inspiration was your father over the years? You've really done your homework. It's I great. Have to. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I want to get the questions no one else does. No, no, that's good. No one's ever asked me about that, so I love that. Okay. Um, I love, I adore my dad and I think he's just one of the best people in the world and, um, you know, he's always been very humble about his experience in organising and activism and all of the great achievements that he went on to have in his career working for the Department of Education and working in Aboriginal education. So it really was a history that I had to kind of coax out of him. He wouldn't, he wouldn't necessarily talk about like, oh, I was a freedom writer. And I, it wasn't until I was studying the freedom rights at school and I opened my textbook and there was his photo that I realised that the way that he would talk about it, which was going out and spending time in community, that was something that, you know, had this, this very specific and influential role in the history of Australian race relations in this country. So when, um, you know, when the reenactment came up, I made the decision that I would apply to be able to participate. And actually, it was a really long conversation that he and I had because he was actually quite cynical about the legacy of the freedom rights and really said, listen, no, we didn't do enough. We created controversy, we created attention, and it did shine a light on the issue. But, um, you know, he's a big believer that these kinds of actions need to be continuous. They need to be, you know, they need to be slow and they need to be dedicated. And so he was going back to all of these communities for decades and decades after. And that's something that really gave me you know, really gave me a, a sense of mandate, you know, like the job is not done just because it got attention. The job, you know, will probably never be done in the sense of bringing, um, bringing equality and bringing resources to regional, regional Aboriginal communities in New South Wales. But, um, you know, he was, he was always so honest about the limitations of those kinds of um, those kinds of historical moments. You know, he is a historian as well. So I was really, um, you know, I was I was really raised with a sense of, um, you know, or with an encouragement to be critical and to be questioning, which guided 
has guided me a lot in my life. Okay. It's great to hear all these stories as well where inspiration comes from parents. Mm. It's great to have that connection still with family. Mm. Indigenous women have been going from strength to strength in publishing, but do you feel there is still obstacles for women in literature to overcome, particularly Indigenous women? I think there's a lot of structural issues that we have in the broader um, kind of institutions of our publishing and, um, you know, and, and literary networks, and they do tend to affect women, um, you know, in ways that are much more specific than men. Like, we've only started to see gender parity in prize listings very recently, despite the fact that, generally speaking, in this country, more women are more, more books are published by women. Sure. But a key thing that I really, you know, am trying to learn more about is the... Uh, the context of arts workers as well so not simply just the writers but the people who are involved in the editing the production the selling the distribution of books and that's an industry that is really um you know women are are by and large um the most of the workers in this industry more, more women are employed in the publishing industry than men by an extensive degree and the wages of this industry are abysmal like this is a this is a career that takes expertise it takes knowledge it's also often um really predicated on the um assumption that you're constantly reading and engaging with the literary community which is unpaid work as well so seeing that um from the sort of um you know from the back end of things like now that i'm much more involved in publishing context not just because of drop bear but also because of my line of work i've been able to kind of see how really dedicated and passionate and involved arts workers are just getting by on passion and not actually on structural support which really really is concerning and you know it's not it's not an easy profession to get into it's really competitive it takes a lot of study to get there and many of those courses can actually be incredibly expensive so I think that we're going to continue to see issues with just who is represented in the publishing arts community um, on the lines of who can afford to take those courses who can afford to work in a career where they're probably not going to be get, getting paid as well as they could in yes. another similar similar line of work and that's going to affect working class women, it's going to affect um, Aboriginal women, and it's going to affect women from migrant and culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds more than it's going to affect anyone else. Yes. And I love how you bring up marketing, because I feel like that's a big thing. Like, still a lot of work out there that even does get published, mm. very much under the radar. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I do want to say, though, a huge congratulations again for your collection of poetry, uh, Drop Bear, winning the Seller Prize this year. What do you hope people reading your work take away from these stories? That's a good question. Um, and thank you for the congratulations. Oh, no worries. Well deserved. <laughs> thank you. Um, you know, it, I never really thought of Drop Bear having the kind of audience that it's had. And that's made me a little bit nervous in a few instances. Because when you put a work that's got a few really specific kind of objectives out into a context in which people picking it up might not be aware of those contexts or they might not share my same positions or values on different things and it's and it's not designed for a general reader um that's something that i think i probably um you know i w could not have predicted the success of the book because 
the Stella Prize was not open to poets when I wrote it or when it was published. Actually, it was a, it was really a late decision in um, in that initial stage of, of um, publishing and selling a book. So um, seeing it being read by people who often don't even read poetry themselves has been wonderful. Um, and I think maybe, you know, if I'd had my time again, I would have added a couple more sort of a bit more accessible poems. I really yep. love speaking to young people who have identified with the poems that are about family or a place or about, you know, the different relationships that we all have with our communities. And I would like to, you know, I would like to think that even if they don't take on some of the, you know, these these structures of critique, that there's enough in there that they feel seen and feel like there is a language out there that they could access themselves. Yes. And a great opportunity for another book. Oh, gosh. Well, listen, let me finish selling this one first. <laughs> oh, it's exhausting. <laughs> um, I do want to ask as well, what can we do as a community, as a country, to have more diversity and better representations of Indigenous people? Because I still feel as though many voices are unheard. That's a good, it's another really good question. And I think it does have to be collective. I kind of come back to what I was saying before about, um, you know, equity and whether that be wage equity, whether that be, um, you know, improving the workplace cultures of the, um, the spaces that produce these kinds of, you know, these kinds of books and projects and these kinds of festivals. You know, we're here at the Byron Bay Writers Festival. Um, if we want real diversity, if we want real engagement and inclusivity, it's something that has to really come from the top down. So all of these structures need to pay dignified living wages. They need to be safe culturally, socially. They need to be inclusive. And that takes really rethinking some of the ways in which we work and rethinking some of the ways in which we value experience and intellect and knowledge and, in, and expertise in these industries. You know, we don't always have to... You know, we don't always have to make it so hard for people to get a job in the arts or so difficult for people to get their work published if we really actually break down some of the expectations that we have about the kind of labour that goes into it. So I'd like to see more opportunities for traineeships. I'd like to see more opportunities for, you know, universities to put people in the workplace yes. as opposed to just always staying in the classroom to really learn how to get you know to get that really hands-on learning yes. experience it's too limited at the moment yeah, yeah yeah and we could really do so much more if we just readjusted our thinking a little bit and we prioritized dignified working conditions and inclusive and welcoming workspaces so that when people get into these industries they feel safe to stay and they yes. have enough money that they can continue to work and support and once you do that once you make the industry inclusive and dignified and supporting a lot of other people are going to be able to access it in a way that we can't even imagine at this stage well every writer also has their own way of working can you tell us something about your process and what a typical day looks like yeah so i work a lot of different jobs i work at a university i work for a journal uh and of course i also write so, um, and a dream day, a dream day when I get to be focusing on writing um, would, to, for me, involve a lot of 
walking and thinking and reflecting. Um, I'm a big believer that the best writing comes from a dedicated reading practice. So I don't write anything until I've sat down and read something else by someone else. And whether I'm taking notes on that particular piece of work specifically, if I want to write about it, or if I just admire different things that a writer has done, I'll always really try to make sure that I'm building research into my practice. Always learning and always mm-hmm. getting inspiration from different areas. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, kind of a little bit like the magpie effect and just taking things that inspire me in one context in a very unexpected way and then, you know, using it to kind of push me to attempt something I might not have tried before yes. or to, um, you know, create something that hopefully will have the same effect yeah. as whatever piece of writing I admire on that particular occasion. Straight from genre to genre, really. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> um, do you have any advice for writers who are just starting out and who are studying writing? Yeah, um, well, a big, a big thing is always reading, as I said. I think reading is really how you learn and how you engage most effectively with, um, you know, with things that can inspire but also teach you. Uh, and you know the the general structure of the way that creative writing is taught in universities and in different writing centres really emphasises the work emphasises the workshop emphasises getting people to sit down together to share their work to share their thoughts and feelings about it to offer advice and critique and suggestions and praise and I love seeing that so much because we often think about writing as being a really isolating kind yeah. of practice yeah. but it's not there are so many communities out there and it's so much better for your practice to engage and to be speaking with other writers and learning from them so if you don't you know if you don't already have have connections with writers just look locally look at your friends look at your community your neighborhood and say hey does anybody want to start a writing group and just start sharing and learning from each other once you've built up a community of people it's going to be so much easier to navigate things like competitions and prizes and submissions when you can share the experience with other people and learn from them as you go along amazing i do want to say lastly as well evelyn how do people follow you on, on socials and where can they find your published works? Well, it's just Evelyn Araluen uh, for Instagram and Twitter, which are my main kind of my main platforms there. Yep. Um, and my writing is in a lot of different places on the internet. I am a big fan of UQP and so obviously you can check out Drop Bear there. They'll be staying with that publishing company for future work. Um, and so keeping a lookout keeping a look out there um and then i guess you know i work at overland journal and i've been published a lot by them so if it's a if it's a little prompt to get people to come and look at overland journal's website and have a look at my writing and maybe stay and read some of the other incredible writing that is out there on the website you know i'd, I'd have to say it wouldn't be a waste of an afternoon no not at all <laughs> well as an inspiring writer myself i want to say there's been an amazing chat and thank you so much for your time and I hope more people discover you from this interview thank you so much and yeah really excited to have this yarn and thanks for thanks for Southern Cross Uni for having me yes thank you Southern Cross Uni thank you to the Byron Writers Festival and we'll hope to see you back soon thank you have a great day